the first thing that we're going to do to transform our lives is we need to develop a new mindset. Develop a new mindset. And here's the, some of the verses that we're going to talk about. I printed most of the scriptures in your bulletin but I, and, or on the screen. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Colossians if you want. If you have um, an iPad or an iPhone, you can go ahead and connect to version, um, which is really cool. And you can get the exact um, uh, version, version that I'm talking from today, the message version. And here's what it starts and says. So if you're serious about living this resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around you. See things from his perspective. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth as the second coming, you'll show up too. The real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, what's that word? Be what? Be content. Isn't that the hardest word? With obscurity like Christ. Okay, let's look at that again. And let's look from this uh, and unpack some of this section of Scripture. The first thing that we say is transform your mind. What I have learned in my life, and it is a struggle day in and day out, is this. My behavior does not change until my thoughts change. Let me say that again. My behavior does not change until my mindset changes. Now, many of you know that uh, a year and a half ago, I, I was a little after 40, and I decided time to get this old, broken-down body in shape. I had realized that Melissa found—I should have put this picture up, um, and I, maybe I will next week to have you come back, but my kids call it my Fat Jack picture, one of the many that we have. They'd pull out, oh, look, another fat jack. I'm like, oh, that's great. Try to, try to run their approval, not going to happen. Um, and it's a picture of me when Jacob was born. Jacob is 15. Uh, he he might have been about one, so it might have been 14 years ago. And I looked at the picture, and I was like, oh, my gosh, who is that? Right? Because I had wanted to lose weight. I wanted to get in shape. I was, I was the one who gave the joke that my body was the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I'm just adding wings. You know, adding a new floor, you got me? Needs a garage, okay? And so, um, in doing so, I had wanted to do this forever, and I said, oh, I'm going to try. And I would go and start out working out a little bit, but then I love to eat. And I don't love to eat fruit. I have an idea about what the heavenly banquet table in heaven is going to be like. It's going to be all that bad food that you can't eat, that you gain weight. And with that new body we have, we can eat all that stuff and better, and it, we can just keep eating. And, I, and I'll look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? You know, it'll be good. And I'll say, give me some more cake, Jesus. You know what I mean? It'll be good. Um, I'll be, and then after I'm done at first course, I'll say, I'll be back. And, and you know, I could keep on going with the Arnolds. Um, but anyway, so we have this kind of situation. The only thing that finally changed, one of the things that was interesting, as the months went on and I began to lose weight and I began to get in better shape, my trainer at the time was like, wow, you're doing great. You're doing this. And I remember asking Melissa, I said, did you think I'd do it? And she said, no. And neither did many of you because you know I like to eat. And you know I like to eat stuff that is bad for me. 
you know? So when we went on vacation the other week, Melissa asked me the question, what are you going to do with food? And I said, I am going to eat like crazy. I'm going to eat more food than I've ever eaten. I'll run, but I'm going to eat. And I ate the most disgusting, nasty food for my body ever, and it was awesome for that week. When we came home, we, were, it was a, we got in late at night. We're riding home, and Melissa goes, what do you want to get to eat? And, and the kids are like, oh, we want, what do you think they wanted? Exactly, yes. They wanted McDonald's. I haven't eaten McDonald's in a year and a half. I'm like, McDonald's? Oh. You know, now I'm not... I'm back in the area, so I feel like my body's like, you should eat good stuff. And they're starting to order. And I said, give me a double cheeseburger. And Melissa's like, yeah, high five, like that. And then since that day, the next day, I've been back on that schedule that I wanted to, eating the brown rice, the chicken, the fish, the, all the stuff that you can doctor up, but it still doesn't taste like chocolate cake or eclairs. You know what I mean? Because my mindset had to change for my behavior to change. You with me? I can want to be a good Christian. I can say, today I'm going to be a good Christian. But unless my mind says, I love Christ and I want Christ to take control of my life and to guide me and lead me, then my behavior will not change. That's simple. And so that's the first thing we need to do. We need to develop a new mindset. That's number one. Number two... Oh, wait, i got to tell you this story. I had this little story down. I'm not going to tell you, but I'm going to tell you now. In, oh, in merry old England, back in the days of, you know, Tom, what, um, Tom, what, Tom, Tom, who was it? Uh, what's the little guy? Tiny Tim. Merry Christmas, Mr. Scrooge. You know that guy. Um, back in those days, the punishment for you stealing, anybody know? Cut off your hand. If you stole again, what did they do? Cut off your other hand. And then if you stole a third time, what did they do? Killed you. So it didn't have any more hands. Okay? So there is a story. Let me see. Um, there's a book called No Hands to Raise. And it's about a guy who stole, got his, arm, his hand chopped off. He stole again, got his other hand chopped off. And then he tried it a third time. They actually said he was trying to pickpocket somebody with his teeth. His hands are both chopped off. He knows he's going to die. But you see, his mindset has not changed in order for him to change his behavior. If, they cut, if they'd sewn his mouth shut, he would have probably tried with a toe. You know what I mean? Because that's who he was. And, so, and you know, we look at that and say, that's ridiculous. But let's look at what we pour into our minds. I want you to stop right now and say, what do you pour into your minds? Number one, um, in looking at some of the bestsellers over the last couple of years, just looking at genres of bestsellers... One is cookbooks and ways to cook. Why? Because we like to eat. And number two, guess what the, num- the next thing is? How to lose weight. You know why we have to lose weight books? Because we eat and find out how to cook. And then, you know, you people who are on Pinterest and that put stuff on those, those recipes, you are killing me on Facebook. I'm seeing this stuff, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's sticky buns. And that's, you know, it's, that's horrible. I don't like you when you do that. You don't win my approval, going back to last week's sermon. But anyway, um, they do look some good things there. Um, another th- but, you know, one of the lowest areas is actually spirituality books and, and mindset. We have some that are up there, but by and large, most of them are, are is a lower genre of books. So when we look at that, we fill our minds in this country with carnal things. 
We fill our minds with things in the world, not things of God. And when we look at this whole scenario, it, I'm not saying Christians just have to be, oh, I'm going to think about God. I'm going to think about God. No, I'm not going to think about food. I'm going to live on manna from heaven. You know, we're not going to, I'm saying that. We have to have a balance as Christians where we have a balance where we look at those things. But we also have to balance our lives, not only carnally, but also spiritually. So we have a balance in our lives to have, have that way. Okay, you good there? All right, here we go. Um, Colossians 3, 4 tells us this. It says, um, and I have that printed into your bulletin. It says, and I have it up here, um, I think. No, uh, did I have it in your bulletin? Yeah, it's at the end of that first section. It says, when Christ, your real life, your, um, your real life, remember, shows up on this earth, you too, the real you, the glorious you, um, will be here as well. So what do you come alive to, is what I would say. What brings you alive? Is it food? Is it sports? Is it something else? Um, or is it God? Okay, so let, let, whatever, I f- whatever I feed on will dominate my life. All right, so let's move on a little bit more. You ready? Number two, so we have develop a new mindset. Next thing, develop a new lifestyle. Anybody want to try this? No, not me either. Um, so let's look at this. Develop a new style. And I want to break this down into a couple different things. Number one, lifestyle. Indulgence versus self-control. Colossians 5. Let's look what Colossians 5 says. It's printed in your bulletin here. And, and that means killing off everything connected with that way of death. Gives a list of things, sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel. Like whenever you, um, like whenever you feel like it. And grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. I'm going to ask you a question. What attracts your fancy? Don't try to figure out what your fancy is. Just what, what, what is it? What is it that draws you in? What is it that gets your attention? Is it a list of some of those things that he wrote there or is it something else? Part of developing a new lifestyle is that we put those things in balance. Again, you see that term balance. The next thing, so we have indulgence versus self-control. What are you indulging in and what is it if it came in front of your face or if it was right there, you would not have enough control to deny? You with me? And that's part of the new mindset and the new lifestyle. The next thing is greed versus generosity. One of the problems that we have in our world and in the way we live is that our worth is often dependent upon our wealth. That we often think we are what we have. And when we don't have, we have a low self-worth. When we have lots... Uh, many of us think that we, do ha- that we do have a lot. There was a book by, I think his name's Tom Monahan. Anybody know that name? What did he do? Domino's Pizza Guy. Anybody ever had Domino's Pizza? Nobody's ever had Domino's Pizza? There's a lot of people buying it. So Domino's Pizza, he's the guy who owns it. And Domino's took off. You remember the 30 minutes or less? I, at West Virginia University, when I was there, I would wait till a football game was over. I'd get home and I'd call because I knew he would not make it in 30 minutes. I, I, I did that all the time. And when they showed up at like 25 minutes, I'd be like, you know, like that. And I'd have to pay for a pizza. Um, they got rid of that pretty quick. But they grew to a lot of, a lot of fame. And with that credit came a great amount of wealth for him. And he ended up buying lots of different houses all over the world. And then he ended up, um, he, his boyhood baseball team was the Detroit Tigers. One of the most storied 
teams in, in MLB. He got a chance to buy the Tigers. Now, for me, who's a sports junkie, I cannot imagine how awesome that would be to be able to buy the Eagles or the Phillies. Uh, Sixers, I don't want them. They're too much of a mess. Um, but you know what I mean? I can't, I, I, that would be like to walk in and they say, hi, Mr. Cohen. I'd be like, yeah, you're fired. No, you know what I mean? Um, just because, it, you know, so I don't have to just stand and look at the television and yell, you stink as a manager. I can say, hey, you stink as a manager. You know what I mean? And just to lo- love and be around that, that group and, uh, and be involved. And he had that opportunity. And then something weird happened. A few years later, he began to sell off his houses. He began to sell, he sold the Detroit uh, the Detroit Tigers, and he actually sold them to the guy who has another pizza place. I think it's the guy who owns Little Caesars. I guess the next person is going to be Papa John's. I don't know. But he sold it to him, and then what began to happen, he, he was interviewed, and, as, and they were saying, why are you selling off stuff? And people began to fear that he was, you know, bad investments, and he said, you know, I had reached this point in my life, and I thought I had everything I always wanted. I had all the wealth. I, could, I owned houses all over the world. I owned my favorite team, and I was empty, and he said, and then a friend of mine gave me a book, a book by a man named C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. Anybody ever read that? I actually gave that to a Jehovah's Witness at my door one day, and um, after a long conversation, that's a whole other sermon, um, maybe two, um, but And he said, when I read that, I started to think, maybe, just maybe, the purpose for my life is more than just this stuff. For you today, is the you might be like saying you're struggling with this worth, wealth thing, and and the bottom line may be this. Your purpose in life, I'm going to tell you, in Christ is greater than all that stuff. Okay? So number three. Number three. Develop a new speech pattern. Oh, I hate this one. Okay? Let's look at what it says in Colossians 3, 8. It says, it wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and knowing, not knowing any better. But now, but you know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, ouch. Irritability, ouch. Meanness, ouch. Profanity, anybody want to say ouch? Ouch. And dirty talk, ouch. Right? Isn't there something that just wells up in you sometimes? Somebody just ticks you off. And you may catch it before it comes out, but it's there. You know what I mean? And some of you may not even catch it before it comes out. Right? Bad week. Worst week of your life. Could just be normal week of your life. And you're just angry inside. But what it says here, it says, in order to have this new lifestyle, I've also got, and to be new in Christ, I've got to develop a new speech pattern. I coach high school football. I hear all kinds of speech patterns every day. And those guys will mess with you. And you have to sometimes get in touch with them in their way. You know what I mean? Um, And so it's tough at times, but it shouldn't be. Sometimes stuff angers me. I, I, you know, I look at that and I'm looking at this list and I say, you know, I should know better. I got to get it all gone for good. My bad temper. I have a bad temper. I can snap. What are you shaking your head yes for? I do. I do. I can snap. I can snap like a, you know, I can be like, yay. And then I can boom, you know, the wrong thing, wrong time. Uh, you know, particularly when I'm in the restaurant, people are acting rude. You know, you heard that story. Um, it's just in other things, stupid things drive me nuts. You know, just people disrespect. Oh, my gosh. Disrespect. That is the biggest thing to me in life. Disrespect. 
I just can't stand that. And, you know, and it's bad enough when kids are doing it, but when adults are doing it, I'm like, you know, all right, we can go. I talk for a living. I can do that too, you know. But I shouldn't, right? And as we look at this and, uh, and I'm packing this, I want to unpack in a couple different ways. Number one, no slander. What is slander? Now, so many of us have been places and will be someplace and somebody will mention someone's name. You know where I'm going with this one? Everybody's like, no, don't say it because then I have to do something with it. Somebody will mention that name and they'll say, do you know that person? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I do. Let me tell you what they, you know, boom. And you, you paint the picture even worse. And sometimes you may even like make it more grandiose than it is because it is to you. And before you know it, you have laid that person out. And then what's really interesting is, guess what? That person you told will go back and tell that other person that you said it. And then they will text you. They will Facebook you. They will yell at you. They will hit you with fruit in the Walmart section. They'll do whatever they can because you have now slandered them. And nothing ever gets good when we keep pointing out those different things. What are we supposed to do? According to this, we are not supposed to tear people down, but to build people up. There's, again, I'm a big sports fan. And the Heisman uh, Trophy winner last year, anybody know what his name is? Texas A&M? I forgot his name. Football. Uh, Johnny Football. Johnny Menzel. Johnny Menzel. They're talking about a 20-year-old kid, and now he's doing things that a lot of 20-year-old kids do, college kids do. And he's the Heisman Trophy winner. And everybody's talking about it. And I heard Mike Golick on Mike and Mike in the Morning one day say, but this is how we do it. We love to build people up, and we love to watch them fall. And we like to help cut their feet out from under them. Don't we? In this country, we love to watch that fall. And in the midst of this, that's what's happening. Don't slander. Um, But here's the other part. As a Christian, we have to speak truth. And that's difficult. But speak the truth in love. That doesn't mean you have to be, when somebody, that doesn't mean when somebody comes down with something you think is hideous, you say, oh, it's good. That's not speaking the truth. You say, um, you don't say, that is horrific. You go, um, do you have anything else to wear? I personally don't like it. You know, be, be honest and it'll hit you. Um, but we need to speak the truth in love. There are people in our lives that we enable time and time again, rather than speaking the truth to them in love and say, listen, you are opening the door to your life to a path that is going to have you in two places, in the morgue or in jail. We don't like to tell people that. Or worse, we, we have, I'm going to tell you, your life is headed in a direction that if, if the world ended today, you're going to end up in hell. And that's not judgmental. That's just because my love for you. You know what I mean? We don't like to share truth. Truth is hard. Truth is difficult. Right now in uh, Major League Baseball, they're going to suspend a ton of people because of this uh, biogenesis enhancing things that made them hit well and all this kind of stuff. And these people have lied for years. Surprise, everybody knew what was going on. But guess what? Now we're going to call people into truth. And consequences. So as we have all these kind of things, how does, let's look at um, what it says in Colossians 3.9. Do not lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitted clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed 
in a new wardrobe. So how does God make us new? We're going to rip through some of these. I got a couple video clips, real short video clips of just really like two short video clips. And here's the first thing. When we've gone, when Christ helps make us new, some of the things that we need to recognize is that, number one, we need to have integrity. And when things are, when we have integrity, integrity is basically what you do when no one knows that you're around. Um, one time I had, I, when they had a uh, Mac machine at First National Bank of Northeast in Elkton, you guys remember that? Um, it spit out a, two extra 20s. Nobody knew. And I walked into the uh, bank on Monday, because it was a Saturday, and gave them the money back. They didn't know what to do. They're like, you're giving this back? I was like, yeah. Or maybe you forgot something at the bottom of Walmart cart, and you've wrestled with the kids to get them in the car, and you go, ah, it's only Walmart. It's not going to kill them. Integrity. What do you do when no one's watching? So let's look. Our new, our new life is a witness to the Lord. So how, do, how does God make us new? Number one, by recognizing that in our church, and this is going to lead us more to the church part, in our church, God makes us new by recognizing that everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. And I want to show you this brief video just to show you, it's about a minute and a half, um, about what I mean by everybody is welcome. Go ahead. Well, I'm Chuck, the pastor of the Life Church Hendersonville, Tennessee location. I want to tell you a story that started on July 4th of 2010 when Mike and Marianne Lepley and their daughter Michelle walked through the doors of our church for the first time. They quickly found me and asked if it was going to be a problem or if their daughter would be welcomed into our church. You see, their daughter was seven months pregnant and was not married. And I quickly assured them that everyone is welcome at Life Church. They didn't really know how to take that, but they came anyway. And a few weeks into their story, Michelle raised her hand to give her life to Christ right here at this church. You fast forward a few weeks and Michelle began to get really connected here at the church. Everyone reached out and loved her as one of our own. A couple months after that, Michelle gave birth to her son, Ian, and Ian was a crowd favorite here at the church. Big old blonde hair and everybody loved Ian. The part I love about this story is Michelle was baptized here a few months after giving her life to Christ here at Life Church. And a few months after that, she met her husband-to-be a great young man that's in the military, and I was privileged enough to marry them here at Life Church. And that brought about some sad news that we were going to have to say goodbye to Michelle and Ian as they embarked on their new journey out to a military base in Colorado. But the story doesn't stop there. You see, it just gets better. What God had begun in Michelle here at Life Church continues today. Even just to a few weeks ago, her story continues here in our church. You see, Michelle got so excited about what God had called her to do that she began to use the internet and leverage the technology available through our resources online, that she led her friends through their very own Kazon experience. They walked through the doors for the first time ever. They gave their life to Christ, and now they have signed up to serve in our Life Kids ministry. Just for the last two weeks, they have both been here serving faithfully. And the best part is Michelle has now accepted a youth position on the Air Force Base where she's ministering to students each and every week. 
The deal is, everyone is welcome at our church. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? And you know why? Here's the thing that stands out to me. The thing is that the parents had to ask the pastor a question. Is my daughter going to be what? Welcomed in your church. Isn't that amazing that she's more accepted by the world outside than by the church inside? Um, one of the things you've heard me say before, particularly around Christmas time, is that Mary and Joseph uh, were... Uh, uh, Jesus' parents were unwed parents. Did you realize that? They weren't married yet. They were betrothed, but not married yet. And there are many people who would shun them uh, away. We need to recognize that everyone is welcome. And, you know, when we look at this, it's because, that had, because of that church opening their, their lives to her. She accepted Christ. Then um, they talked about a Gazon experience. That is leading a small group. It's a, and kazon it's, is the Hebrew term for purpose. And she helped her friends try to find a purpose. Then showed them resources online where they could go. Then they came into the church and now they're serving and they've given their life to Christ. And that will just keep on. Why? Because a church did what Jesus told us to do. To welcome people and to love them. So the one thing we need to recognize about being new in Christ is everyone is welcome. At Haven, everyone is welcome. Jesus often Welcome the people who were overlooked in the life. They said he ate with tax collectors and sinners. They were the ones who the synagogue, the organized religion, did not want and did not want to deal with. But Jesus said, that's who I'm going to stay with. It's the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. If you look in Luke 14, Jesus had a lot to say about this. And in Luke chapter 14... Jesus said, when you give a banquet, don't invite your friends. Don't invite the people who like you. Don't invite the wealthy and powerful. He said, go and invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Then you will be blessed. In other words, those that everything else shuns away, I want you to love them and welcome them. At Haven, everybody is welcome. You can come with your doubts and your questions. I'm glad you have them. Your fears and insecurities. Your darkness, your sins, and your struggle. Someone told me, if you know everything I've done, the, I, I came in the church, the roof would cave in. And I've said to them several times, well, guess what? When I was a pastor of a church many years ago, the roof did cave in. So now that we've got that out of the way, come on to church. And that's true. A tornado hit, hit the church and ripped the roof off of it. So, um, so we have this. Um, you are welcome. It doesn't matter the color of your skin or your hair, whether it's purple, pink, yellow, whatever. It doesn't matter whether you have piercings here, here, and I'll stop there or anywhere. It doesn't matter whether you have lots of money or no money. It doesn't matter whether you have nice clothes or bad clothes, just as long as we have one rule, you have clothes. This isn't the church of Adam and Eve, so we want to make sure you have clothes. Whatever it is, We want you to recognize God accepts you as you are, and so do we. But here's the big thing. God loves you way too much to leave you that way. He wants to make you new. But first, he's got to tell you he loves you. He loves you. I've seen several people, and I've heard several people talking about loving their neighbors. But I've seen little action from the church over the years in that way. So come as you are. And be part of the church that, and I'm glad that this is a church that loves people unconditionally. We've had people of all walks of life, all different races, all different, all kinds of ways. And that have come and gone and been part of here and are still here and, and have moved on into other areas. And we're accepted. 
I told, when I was told about church starts, somebody said, you'll have who you are. And you look around, we don't just have who I am. And I like that. I'm excited about how God is doing this thing. So this is the next thing. Number two, God will do a new thing. All right, everybody say that with me. Thang. New thing, all right? New thing. God wants to do a new thing. What do I mean by this? Some of you may hit a place where you've hit a dead end in your life. And you don't see any way of getting out. Look at what it says in, in your bulletin on Isaiah 43, 19. Where God says, see I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. What does this mean? It means that some of you need a brand new thing right now. Some of you may need to say, God, I need a new thing. Because guess what? In my life, I need a new, that thing needs to be job because it's killing me. And there's no way out. I need you to bring a newness to my relationship. Because we've reached a point that we're done. And the next thing's going to be a broken thing. But I need you to do a new thing in our relationship together. Or you may say, God, I need something new. I need new of of you. I've been a Christian for a while, but I've been on yesterday's blessings and I'm just done. I need something new in that deal. God, I need you to bring something new in my relationship with my children. Because somehow it's gotten off track. I need you to bring something new. You get it? Some of you may need something new in your life. And God loves to bring things new. He says, see, I am doing a new thing. Everyone else tells you, there's no way you can do that. That's, there's no way. There's, it can't happen. God says, yes, it can. No one else sees what God does. God, will constantly, God loves to take your can't and make it his can. Next thing, a growth process. Growth process. That always sounds good, doesn't it? A growth process. But why do we grow and desire to grow at Haven? Individually and also as a church. Because people matter to God and they should to us. And there's a lot of people who don't know the Lord. And there's a lot of people who, who need, uh, need, need to just know Jesus. There's some people who know, who know about Jesus but don't know him intimately. And I want to see that happen. I'm excited about the transition. We are excited about the next transition and phase in our ministry. Um, and I've got ideas bubbling in. And I'm one person. And, and, you know, I'm excited about the gifts that God's going to use and just how it's going to happen. But the one thing, I want to see him do a new thing and breathe new life into this ministry overall. Um, and to bring growth. And the other reason why growth, every time there's a growth process, there's pain. For instance, let me ask you. Parents of toddlers, when they started walking, what did they also start doing? Falling, right? And they also kept crying, and you had to pick that up. But guess what? They didn't just say, I fell, I'm done, no more walking, I'm just going to crawl the rest of my life. No, they kept trying and got back up and did it. And they were glad, and then they walk, and then they run, and they never stop running. And then in many of us, a lot of times what we do in our faith journey will start, and then we'll have a fall, and we just want to stay there and say, I can't do this, I'm done. We never get our spiritual legs back on us. What I've learned in my life is through a growth process that I grow, the mo- I, I grow the most and I get stronger in my faith. Why is Haven Church growing? Number one, because you guys are praying. Number two, because you're inviting. Remember last week when we had the new members up there? I said, how many of you came because somebody inv- invited you? And most of the church said yes. 
and you're doing what you can to share the love of God where he's given you uh, agreement to do so. I want to see an Acts 2, 46, 47 church. I want to see this for Haven. This is my prayer every day. That every day, the church, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate with toge- together and glad with sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And this verse right here. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's my prayer that every day somebody would come to know, the Je- know Jesus. Number four. The power of invitation. I want to show you this, this video of how not to invite. You ready? Hola! Hola, amigo! Hola, mi amigo! Hola, amigo. Hola, mi amigo. Por favor, uno momento. Ah. Hola, vecino. Uh, te gustera venir uh, conmigo a la iglesias el domingo. Mi iglesias es muy dorito. Dur- dorito? Uh, oh, <laughs> dervitido. Uh, y se puede transformar tu vida de pecano. Oh, Picado, Picado. <laughs> not, not Picano, but, but uh, Picano says muy delicioso. See? 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 See, I, See? I, don't, even know See? What, I don't even know what you're saying. You speak English? Yes. You're not a Spaniard. Well, I'm a quarter Hispanic, but I don't, I don't speak the language. Seriously? Yeah, I never... Seriously? I never learned the language. Seriously. What were you saying? Never mind. All right. All right. Invite somebody, okay? Use what you can if you, if you have somebody who speaks Spanish. Um, don't call them a Dorito. Um, but, um, and don't tell them to change their life a pecan. Um, invite somebody. You are the greatest witness for Christ. You know... Um, there's been people who've said to me, you know, just some things that people heard before they came to this church about stuff that was going on here. And don't worry about the baby. She's all right. She's too cute to have any problems. Don't worry. Um, but there's been people who said, I heard, I heard that this was going on in church, and I heard this, and there was like a, a buzz of stuff going on. Did anybody, let me ask you, did anybody hear anything about this church before you came here? All right? A couple people? All right. Did you hear good or bad? A little bit of both? Anybody a little bit of both? A little bit, depending on who you're talking to. But one of the things was, you know, you'll have people who say, oh, you go to that church that meets in a school? Tell them this. Come and see. Look, I want to show you this. From, from John chapter, four, chapter 1, verses 46 and, um, 45 and 46, there is Philip, and Philip heard from Jesus. And he runs and tells his buddy Nathaniel. He says, hey, hey, come here. Listen. He said, we have found the one Moses talked about in the law, about who the prophets write. His name is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And listen to Nathaniel's response. What does he say? Nazareth? Nazareth? That hole in the wall, that, that junk heap? Can anything good come from there? You know, we'd say, Northeast? A church in North, a decent church in Northeast? Are you kidding me? 
that county's so ostracized from everybody else, you've got to pay both ways to get into it. Which I have heard that. Actually, you've got to pay all, all different ways. But, you know, Cecil County, really? Can, that, can anything good come from there? Are you kidding me? You know, one of the largest churches in the world that reaches people is in the middle of Oklahoma? Go ahead and say it with me. Oklahoma? The only thing I know about is Oklahoma, where the wind goes. That's the only thing I know about Oklahoma. And the Sooners, of course, football. There, but what I'm saying is, where God sets up is where it happens. And so, somebody says something to you, say, come and see. Look at what Nathaniel said. He said, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And Nathaniel asked, and Philip said, come on. Come on and just see. Come on and just see. And the rest of the story goes that Nathaniel goes over there, and Jesus says, oh, I know about you. You're this, this. And he goes, oh, wow, you are the one. And he saw. That is the power of invitation. You come and you see, and I hope you see Jesus in this. That you don't see me and you don't see the musicians, but that you connect to Jesus and, you can, and, and, and begin to grow in him as well. And that's what we want to see. All right. And then closing this down. The best way God makes us new is by being born again. Churchy term. Oh, there it is. Being born again. And in this, I want to go to John chapter 3. And this is where we'll close down with today. John chapter 3. And there's a guy who was a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus at night. Yes, it was the first Nick at night. So, um, I know they're bad, but what do you expect? Um, And the Pharisees were people who had 613 commandments. 613 commandments. Ten's hard enough. Are you with me? When Jesus wrapped them down to two, that made it even more difficult. But 613. And he comes to Jesus at night and he says, I know you're a good teacher. And he said, but what I want to know is, you know, how do I go ahead and get to God's kingdom? And you can see this in verse 5 right here. In verse 5, what does it say? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus says, how in the world can I do that? I'm an old man. Not going to happen. Mom's not going to go along with that one, right? It's not going to happen. He says, no, no, no. You're only born once from flesh. But what he's saying is, I came so that God can do something new in your life. So that you can be born anew in the Spirit. Being born anew. God does not give us a better life. If you're looking for a better life from God, don't. Or he's not going to try to improve your life. But he's going to truly give you a new life when you do what he says and you give your life to him. If you're struggling with the same stuff, guess what? You haven't given that area of your life to Jesus and let him take it. If you're struggling in your relationships and other kinds of things, maybe you haven't turned that over to Jesus and you're trying to grab hold of it. You're not going to have this new life by the power of your strength or by the willpower or any other kind of thing. Have you ever decided that time, you know, usually it's at the beginning of the year, you say, okay, now I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to be a really good Christian. I'm going to start reading my Bible every day. I'm going to set this time up, and that last, may last for a couple days. I know people who did disciple Bible study said, I missed that discipline of knowing that when I got there, you were going to ask if I read. You know? But here's the thing. Only Christ 
can make you new. Religious behavior can make you nice, but only Christ can make you new. Now, I'm going to ask the praise team to come up right now and sing a song. And what I want you to do, I just want you to bow your heads and pray with me as we focus on this. This is not um, brand new language or brand new things that we're, that we're putting in the midst here. There's a story I heard this week before I begin to pray of a young girl who, just, who was, five, was six, five years old and she was getting baptized and she invited 50 people to her baptism. 40 people came. Of those 40 people, one was a, a couple who had gotten away from church and had some bad experiences and they came and they started to like what they saw and they came and they attended back And they went and brought both sets of their parents who liked what they saw. The couple committed their life to, recommitted their life to Christ. The parents accepted the Lord, both sets of them. They invited their friends and other friends. This was a Saturday night service. And the little girl went ahead and on top of that, she had invited some pastors in the neighborhood. They found out some of the church resources that they had. And they began to, for the first time, in the churches that were dying began to enact small group ministry and use the resources that were available to them. And guess what happened? It transformed their churches as well. If one little girl can say, come see me get baptized and talk about her commitment to Christ and 40 people can come to church and it can affect others, shame on us. Am I right? Christ wants to make you new and he wants you to use the power of invitation. He wants you to use, to be born again. And he wants you to commit those relations. He wants you to, uh, you need, anybody need a new thing in your life? Let him go ahead and give that to you. I'm going to ask that you please stand as I pray and the altar is open for you um, as we finish this. Lord God, I just thank you for your presence here. I thank you that this is not it, that this, this old self that's tired and worn out and angry and frustrated and all those other kind of lists, that this just isn't it. But God, you want you want us to feed on you, that you want us to learn and grow in you, and that you said that I, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly or full. And God, I know that as we, we talk about in the next few weeks, um, that one week we're going to talk about, I'm, I, I believe I'm new, but I don't feel it, that what, what the challenges are that exist there, God, and how we can just commit ourselves to you and just have a newness. There may be somebody here today, God, that has had that week that just doesn't know why they showed up, but they want something new. They said, I'm gonna, I've tried everything, I'm going to try you. And so, God, let them know that you want them to belong. And by belonging, they just say, you know what, I have, I have stuff in my life that I'm not proud of. And God, I, I feel, I, most of us say, I feel embarrassed to bring that stuff before you and to think that you could even love me. But God, you, you say... I don't want to hear that. You're my child. I just want to make you new. I want to wipe that all away and give you a newness of life. So God, if there's somebody here who hasn't just opened up their heart to you and just says, God, I need a Savior, you're it. Just have them lift their hand right now where they are with every, uh, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Just say, Lord, I, I need it. I need you. And I want this newness in my life. Or somebody else may have brokenness in relationships or somebody else may say, I need a new thing there. Whatever it may be, Lord, just minister to them now. And as this altar is open, let us just lay those things down and just ha- seek your face. And let you, and what I say about seeking your face, I mean just, just see you in our lives. We're, we're tired. We're worn. We need you. In Christ's name, amen.